Well, this morning's message um, is going to conclude our short four-week breeze through the book of Jude. Um, That's because, as you already were reminded again this morning of, this Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent with Ash Wednesday, so we're going to uh, pivot next week and start a new Lenten series from the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, And listen, I've received a lot of feedback from you uh, from this series, I, I appreciate the, the things that you've, that you've shared with me, the, the ways that the Lord has been speaking to you, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Um, I, I, I know that God's Word is always relevant, it's always applicable, it's always timely, but sometimes um, the way the Holy Spirit works and the way uh, things are going in the world, certain topics and certain themes uh, just come across to us as more urgent, and surely you are aware of the things going on in our world today. You don't need me to enumerate them again for you. You, you know them. Uh, they weigh on your heart. They touch your family. They touch your life. Um, but I'm grateful that God's word is speaking uh, into those uh, different situations, so praise, praise be to him for that. To the church then and to the church today, Jude's exhortation is to defend the faith defend the faith. The infiltrators, they've wormed their way into positions of influence, into positions of leadership, and they have perverted the truth of God's word, resulting in destructive theology and destructive ethics. And we see it, don't we? We see it in the world today. The foundation of the church, the the very foundation of of our salvation itself hangs in the balance with these issues. This is not a pastor's rant. This is not, you know, some sort of soapbox moment where we rally the troops and throw out some red meat and everyone gets excited because the pastor's talking about that thing that we all like to get bent out of shape about. No, according to the scriptures, remember from Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, to turn from the truth of God's word is to turn from God himself. These are critical days in the world, in our nation, in our churches, in our lives. Everything is at stake. Now, we don't have five more months (laughs) to work through Jude, okay? And by the way, if you're keeping track, if we kept going at the pace that we've been going, it would take us five more months to get to the end in a a book with one chapter and only 25 verses, okay? So there's no way we're going to cover everything. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump from the very beginning of Jude, where we've spent the last three weeks, to the very end of Jude. And that's not to say that the middle of Jude doesn't matter or that it's somehow less urgent or relevant or that maybe the beginning and the end are inspired and the middle is just sort of speculative. That's not to say any of those things. It's just simply to say, I gave myself four weeks to work through Jude and I have to finish it today. So we're going to the end, okay? We're going to the end. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, we'll be on page 989, Um, we're going to see where Jude will move from um, the what of his letter, that is, you know, he wants us to defend the faith, to the why, we talked about the why, defend the faith because of what's going on in the church, and now, for you pragmatists out there, he's going to move into the how. 
Okay, so I know what you want me to do. I know why you want me to do it. Thank you, Jude, now for telling me how to do it. So that's what we're going to look at here this morning in the last few verses of the book. Now, I, I don't norm, normally encourage you in a strong manner to take notes. I know not all of you are note takers. There are some good note takers out there, and sometimes I, I see your notes, and I'm amazed that you even left any space on your bulletin at all because you fill in every possible place. And I know there's also some smart alecks out there who like to, who like to write the word notes repeatedly, th- literally just the word notes. And they said, look, I took notes. Okay. Let, let's, let's for one week dispense with the sarcasm. And I strongly encourage you to, even if you're not a note taker, to take some notes today because, because we're going to read about six verses of the letter that really could be three three-point sermons. Okay, now that doesn't mean we're going to go for, you know, 120 minutes here this morning. I could, but I won't. It just means there's a lot of material, a lot of material to cover. It's gonna, we're going to go through it quickly, and I, I don't want you to miss the things that the Lord is, is speaking to your heart. So please, if you're, if you're willing at all, just try to take even just some basic notes for that you can refer back to in your own time of, of study. All right, Jude, well, Jude verse 20, since we're already, there's only one chapter. Jude verse 20, down through um, verse 25. But you, dear friends, now this is after 13, 14, 15 verses talking about those false teachers. Okay, so he's, he's gone at length to describe them for us and, and, and help us to understand the nature of, of what they're like and what they're after and what the fruit of their of their false teachings is. But you, church, verse 20, you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Amen to that. All right, so here we go. Here's where the the rubber meets the road, church. Here are the three things as we think about contending for the faith in the midst of the world that we live in, Here are the three things we must do. Number one, build one another up in the faith. Build one another up in the faith. And not just your faith or my faith or a faith or some faith. We're talking about in this letter, the faith. 
Not your customized version of Christianity where you have, you have gone through the, the scriptures and you found those, those favorite Bible verses. Thank you, Pastor Jeff, for the, the favorite Bible verse. Psalm 118, was it? Psalm, we love Psalm 118. We, we have those sort of go-to things that we like to go to. And we have our own idea of what, of what it means to me. And so we, we pick and choose the, the truths we like and we sort of ignore or gloss over. Or in the worst cases twist and tweak the things we don't like and we come up with sort of this customized version of faith that suits my life and my tastes and my preferences. Is that any different than what the false teachers have been doing? So Jude's saying, build yourselves up in the faith, the truths of God's word, the the faith that has been entrusted to the church, that has been delivered to the church, that has been passed down from generation to generation faithfully by those who, 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 who over whom Christ is Lord, that faith delivered once for all time. You remember three weeks ago when we started this series, I mentioned from uh, Galatians chapter one, Paul talks about the gospel, the good news. And by the way, in, in the churches in that region, the gospel was coming under fire. It was being distorted and twisted. And we talked about that. And we're gonna come back to that again here in just a second. Paul says, no, no, no. No, don't listen to the twisted version of the gospel. You listen to the one I preach to you because I delivered to you and the apostles delivered to you that which Christ himself gave to us. It is the faith handed down to you from him through us and through the scriptures. And because it is the, the faith delivered from God, it is a holy faith. That's what he says there in verse 20. The holy faith And it alone has the power to create holy people. There is no other scripture or text in all of history that can transform your life like this. Because this is the truth from God. And it can make you into something new altogether. A new creature. And and so he begins his book by calling the, the churches that he's writing to holy people. Because they have received a holy faith that comes from God himself. No, there's an interesting little factoid here, going back to Paul's letter to the Galatians, that, that I wanted to raise, uh, bring to your attention in case you maybe never knew or had forgotten. You know, the, the situation in, in that letter was, was a really dire situation. You had these group of people um, that, that Paul says in chapter 2, I believe verse 4, that were smuggled into the church. So Jude's talking about people who wormed their way to positions of leadership. Paul's talking about a group of people who were smuggled in. They're like contraband people. <laughs> sort of, you know, back through the back doors or through dark channels. They were brought in and they began twisting and perverting the gospel to say that you had to be saved. You needed Jesus plus something. Circumcision, keeping the law, becoming a Jew. They're called the Judaizers for a reason. Because they were claiming to be Christians, but teaching a gospel, not the gospel that Paul shared, that salvation comes by grace through faith alone. No, this is a gospel that comes by salvation through, by grace through faith and Judaism. And it's the perversion of the gospel. And it was, a, it was a major problem. It was causing divisions in the church and people were being led astray. Their salvation was, it was at risk. It was a dire situation. But here's a beautiful thing about it. From, from our vantage point, as we, as we survey situations like that in that time and in our own, and we see this, these, 
are obviously terrible things happening, we can be confident that even in the midst of the terrible things happening, God is providential, providentially at work. Because what was the result of the, the crisis in the Galatian churches? Well, there was a confrontation between Paul and Peter, and ultimately a council held in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15. And at that council, what happened? Oh, the gospel was clarified. It was clarified. And the church found unity around it. And I am convinced that the crazy things going on in our, in our culture, in our churches, that from our vantage point seem like these end of the world, I can't believe these things are happening. All is lost. Everything's falling apart. The world is coming to an end. Whatever sort of apocalyptic scenario we've conjured up in our minds, I want you to know, church, that God is still in control. He is still seated on his throne. Christ has made his enemies a footstool. And if you remember all those years back when we talked about that before, he's sitting there kicking back drinking a sweet tea. It's nothing to him. And he's at work. And I believe you and I are in a, in a time where we get a chance to see the gospel clarified once again. Where it can be preached with, and, and, and shared and lived out with fresh urgency, but also with fresh clarity to a, to a culture, to a world that desperately needs to hear it and to see it from your mouths and in your lives. And the question is, will we, will we be that people? Will we be that people that will allow God to be at work in that way? Where he can work to solidify and restore the foundation that has been rotting in American churches for 100 years. That started with subtle tweaks softening on truth, turning away from, well, is, is the scripture really true? We start doubting, little doubts here, little doubts there, and next thing you know, you have the world we have today, 100 years later. And the question is, will we be the people who step up into the time that we have and say, no, his word is true, I believe from cover to cover, I don't care what you say about me, what you label me, how you accuse me, how you persecute me, how you threaten my life, or my reputation, or my name, I will stand on the truth of his word. And I will, with fresh clarity, communicate it to you. Build yourselves up in the faith. The other day, I was uh, <clears throat> making one of my, well, daily trips, it seems, to Walmart. <laughs> and I had one of, my, one of my children with me. I'm not going to tell you which one because it's not fair to them. I didn't get their permission to share the story, so I won't embarrass them. I don't know if it's even embarrassing, but either, whatever. I don't, I'm trying to keep myself from getting in trouble here. So uh, we were going to Walmart, um, had a grocery pickup or whatever to get, and we got off on the exit here. They're on 17, and we pull up to the stop sign. By the way, friends, you can turn right into the right lane if there's a car coming over the bridge in the left lane. I'm just saying. All right. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Pull up to the stop sign, and right there in front of us is the new, I guess it's a PetSmart, Petco, Pet, it's like the 13th pet store in that shopping center. All right. And my kid looks at that and says, when did that get there? And I was like, they've been 
building that for weeks. Like how, how, but that's the thing. Like if we're not paying attention to things, things can just, just spring up. But things don't just spring up, do they? It's not like one day there was just a, a field there next to Super Volcano. That's what I'm calling it because it's bigger than the regular volcano. Super Volcano. And the owner, if you ever listen to this, you can thank me for that. All right, so everyone, from now on, let's all just agree as a community, we're going to call that Super Volcano. All right, so it's not like one day the grass next to Super Volcano just produced this structure. How did it get there? What, how did it get there? How does any structure get anywhere? Someone, someone built it. A foundation was laid. You know, things were put into the foundation and connected to each other, and a roof was put on top, and they're working on the inside. I mean, people work. It's, it's, constru- it's a construction project. And the New Testament describes the church along those kind of lines. It is God's construction project in the world. But it's not to build a physical structure, it's to build a spiritual structure. One comprised not of brick and mortar or steel or any of the other things that go into the construction of a building. No, it is constructed by hearts yielded to him and his lordship. It's the church. He's building his church. He's fitting us together. He's for, we're the, the living stones, Peter says. Stones like stones that are, are pieced together to form walls and structures and, and to become a dwelling place for God in the world. And Jude adds to that, to this motif of God's construction project, and he says, now all of you, you church, keep on building each other up into the faith. That keep on building is a present participle, which means do it constantly. It doesn't just spring into place. Any more than pet store number 13 sprang into place by super volcano. It doesn't just happen. It happens when people commit themselves and put in the work and do what it takes day after day after day after day. You don't take days off from, from this type of construction project. There is no break from this this exhortation to continually build one another up in the faith. And that should be the goal of every quiet time that you have, of every sermon that you hear, every Sunday school class that you attend, every life group meeting where you get together and and talk about your your study or your lives or whatever you're doing, that should be the goal. To to see the, the entirety of all of our lives, all that we are, all that we think and all that we say and all that we cherish and believe and hope for and imagine and aspire to, every bit of what makes you you, the goal of all of this should be to conform all of ourselves increasingly into the the image of Christ, to, be, to have our lives shaped by God's word. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. We're not just going through a weekly ritual, having a, having a ceremony, having a service. No, we are conforming our lives to God's word, building each other up into the faith. His truth should constitute the very atmosphere of our lives. Do you remember um, the Michael W. Smith song from the 90s, the air, the air I Breathe? Now in the song, and by the way, a lot of those 90s praise songs were so abstract. It's like, let it rain. Let what rain? What is raining? 
Can someone, if someone can tell me what's raining, I would, I'd be really helped out by that. All right. Open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain. Let what rain? Anyway, let me get out of the rant there for a second. Back to um, the air I breathe. Your holy presence. Live, I, I do like that. Your presence. Your presence is living in me. Your truth is reigning. Your truth, so we surround ourselves. We're enveloped by the reality of who you are and what you have said and what you want us to be and what you want us to do. It is like, like Paul says in Ephesians 5, you know, what, what should define your lives together? Oh, singing psalms and, and hymns and, and spiritual songs amongst yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. He's not talking about just literally singing everywhere we go, singing songs to each other, although there, there's time for that. He's talking about an atmosphere, an environment of praise and gratitude and truth. Build each other up into it. Should form our prayer life. That's what he says. Pray in the power of the Spirit. What is the role of the Spirit? What does the Spirit do within the economy of God in working out our salvation? Well, among the many things he does, he recalls to mind the things of Christ. Jesus said it himself. The Spirit will come, another advocate just like me. Only he's not me, he's the Spirit. And he's he's not going to come tell you something new or something different. He's going to tell you the things that I have told you. He's not just going to tell them to you so that you remember them. He's going to tell them to your heart. So they descend from the mind to the heart, and then you begin to live it out. And then before you know it, the Spirit is forming you into the very image of Christ. Praying in the power of the Spirit is praying like that. You want to build someone else up in the faith? Pray for them in the power of the Spirit. Saturate their lives with your prayer life that has been saturated by the the words of the Scriptures. Pray the scriptures over somebody next to you, over your your spouse, your child, your parent, your wayward friend. Pray the scriptures. That's spirit-infused prayer right there. Because the spirit inspired the scriptures. The spirit superintends the proclamation of the scriptures. The spirit takes the truth of the scriptures and makes it transformative in your life and in the lives of those around you. Pray in the power of the spirit. Your, Your very hopes your assurances, whatever you cling to as the bedrock of your life should be formed and shaped and grounded in in the hope of the promises of Christ. That's what he's saying. Look again there in verse, verse 21. Await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look forward to, with hopeful expectation, the fulfillment of all his promises to you. You want to build someone else up in the faith? Let them witness in your life a hope that cannot be shaken. That you'll say, I don't care how crazy the world is. I don't care how costly it is to my life. I believe Jesus is coming again in fulfillment of every one of his promises. And there's nothing in the world that can shake that. That will build faith in someone else, I promise you. It'll build faith in somebody when they witness that that you cling to the, the love of God and nothing else. You don't cling to your works You don't cling to your finances. You don't cling to your past experiences or successes or anything else. You cling to Christ and what he has done. Cling to the cross. That'll build faith in someone. Build one another up in the faith. Remember, focus upon, and encourage one another in these things. That's number one. Number two, help others (laughs) who are falling away. So build yourselves up. Okay, thank you, Jude. We get that part. And we're very, it comes probably of all these things most naturally to us. 
Because it, it kind of, it doesn't, I don't think it's why he says it. He says it because it's true. But in a way, it does kind of appeal to sort of our, our natural tendencies to, to look, you know, inwardly upon ourselves. To attend to our needs or our church's needs, or our family and friends' needs, the people that are close to us, the people that are near and dear to us. Okay, thank you, Jude. I'm happy to attend to them. Well, now Jude expands and he says, oh no, also help others who are falling away. Verses 22 and 23 contain three different, separate, but increasing degrees of waywardness. Three clauses that point to three different groups of people, categories of people who are all d- d- defined in some form or fashion by either the, the falling away from the faith or the movement towards that or the temptation towards that. Look at what he says there. He says first there in verse 22, show mercy to, or in some manuscripts it says convince, and, and there's a whole debate about whether it's show mercy to or convince, and frankly, either one of them is fine with me. I don't see any conflict between them and whether you're showing mercy to someone who is struggling in their faith, but what does that mean? What are you doing? You're not just saying, oh, you know, bless your heart. <laughs> that, does no, that does nothing for them. That's not merciful. Whether you're showing biblical mercy to somebody, reaching out to them in some capacity, or seeking to convince them, to me, it's all, it's all the net same. So let's not get caught up in, in that, that particular, you know, debate. But show mercy to or convince those whose faith is wavering. That's category number one. Those whose faith, they have faith, but it's gotten a little shaky lately. Think about people in your life. Think about people in your family or your friend group or uh, your Facebook community or wherever you, you are connected to other you know, Christians, people in this church perhaps. Maybe the person sitting next to you. Maybe, maybe you're like, wow, maybe that's me. Who are those people in your life, who are struggling with doubt, who are maybe beginning to go kind of soft on some things. And I don't, I'm not talking about people who disagree with you. Remember what we said a few weeks ago. Yes, in, in non-essential things, there needs to be diversity. It's okay if you, if you have a, a, a disagreement or a different perspective on things that aren't, you know, the essential core things of the faith. I had a discussion the other day with someone talking about baptism. And we at this church, we don't hold that there is a particular mode of baptism that the scriptures require. Now, some of you probably disagree with me on that. And you think that the only valid Christian baptism is one by immersion. And I, I don't see that. I don't see the scriptures demanding that. Uh, the scriptures demand, Christ commands us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you come underwater in some capacity, but how it, it's not a core essential thing. And yet whole churches and denominations split over that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting so entrenched in our own sort of nuance that we, we part ways with people over non-essential things. There's room for diversity within the church. There needs to be room for that. And, and there are people in your life who may maybe their perspective on something changed that doesn't mean they've gone soft on the truth. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are beginning to doubt the core things, who are going soft there. Is God's word really true? Is Jesus alone sufficient for my salvation? Is God tr- a trinity? 
I, was, I, was, I made the mistake the other day of reading the Twitter comments under a post about the Asbury Revival. Why did I do that? And I saw one guy claiming to be trying to teach everyone about his great spiritual insights. And to him, the, the, the way to get back to revival is to get rid of the Trinity. Yeah, good luck with that, pal. Good luck with that. There is no more essential Christian doctrine than that God is three persons who are one God. There is no more essential doctrine than that. And if you have a Christian brother or sister who's beginning to doubt that, their, their faith is wavering. People who are going soft, people who are making compromises, people who are beginning to doubt. Look, the easy thing to do is what? Well, the easy thing to do is do nothing. That's always the easy thing to do, isn't it? To just be like, well, you know, they'll come back around. They'll figure it out. I know you don't. This is not planned. This is God. I'm sorry to cut you short on this. Oh, it's okay. I want you to put these words in action right now. Can I ruin your whole thing and put this in action? Okay. All right. You know I hate being up here, people, but this is important. Here, why don't you stand closer to the microphone? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. This was not planned. This is God's working. This was, um, this has to do with today's sermon, okay? Thank you, wonderful sermon. Um, I would like him for, for us, this church, to put these words in actions this moment. Um, I'm one of these ones that's wavering. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to trust. I don't, I don't know where my faith is with God right now. Some of you already know my husband is, 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 is um, a couple days from months, who knows, gets in God's hands, but he's, he's not going to live very long. He's not a Christian. I've prayed. I need you all to pray for, like they're saying, for those that don't have the faith, okay? For the Holy Spirit to come and fill him with the faith, not my faith, not the church's faith, but the faith, just like Pastor Sean's saying. Um, so I would like if, I know but at times that people come up and put their hands on one another. My husband, I prayed, I asked today if he would come to church. He's never been to church, to a church or any church. And I asked him to come. And he doesn't believe he needs to come to the church. I found out today in my Bible study class that he really doesn't have to come to church, that God can come to him anywhere he's at. And that he doesn't, I always thought that he needed a pastor to put hands on him and stuff like that. But it's like the, the Asbury thing that's going on right now where people are coming and they're not going. They're they're not going to a church. It's a, a wherever a school, but but they're people putting hands on them and, and and they're being saved. Okay, so I would like to ask this church, my family church here, that I trust and believe in, um, to come and put hands on me today and pray not just for me but for my husband. Maybe the Holy Spirit will hear it and then come to him. Okay, and I need faith in you all because I'm really having a hard time because he hasn't come down to, to come to heaven. He's just said that today that um, 
If dogs don't need to come to heaven, then why, I mean, come to be saved, why should he have to be saved? He's more important, but he is more important. That's why I need help. I need help. I'm sorry. I just need help. And he needs it. He don't realize he needs it. And I didn't mean to, I no, honestly no, 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 did not okay. mean to take over your service no, it's today. Okay. You did not. The Holy Spirit is taking over, and that's, that's what we want. Friends, this, this is what happens. This is what happens when the Spirit of God is in control. This is what's happening in Asbury. This is what is happening in colleges around the country. And praise be to God, it's what's happening in churches around the country. Barbary. into one another right now. There are others in the same situation. My mother has no faith in it. Her last days are being spent in an earthly home. And don't tell me in the Bible that your faith would be sufficient for you in our own Well, we will, we will pray that her faith will have a, a saving impact on his life. Definitely. Yeah. Good. Well, you know what? You know what, Regina, you're preaching my sermon before I get to the end. All right? It's, it's not you. Now listen, it's not you. No, you're right. It's not you that needs to be strong. God is strong in you. And that is our hope. That is our hope. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. Struggling with your faith is how you grow. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. where you do most growing in yeah. Good. Good. He's really hitting me. God sometimes requires us to pick up the sword and defend him. Um, and the only way that we can do that is by training. Mm-hmm. And struggling is training. Good. Okay, thank you. Good. Good. And you're building me up, like he says. We need to build each other up. So you're not going to walk not... out of church today saying you built somebody up. That's so right. I every one of y'all for coming Regi- in. Regina, build me. and no one else here. No one else here is, is walking through life and struggles by yourself. You have, a, you have a church and you have the Holy Spirit of God. So let's pray in the power of the Holy Spirit right now. God, our Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, we praise and worship you and your holy name. We believe that you are who you say you are in your word and we cling to it with all of our lives. There's nothing else in this world that we turn to in our time of need or a time of, or a time of struggle. There is no other name in heaven or on earth or under the earth by which we may be saved than the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. God, we believe these things and we stake our lives upon them. And there's times where we are really confident and really sure about them. And then there's times where we struggle and there's times where we doubt and we're not so sure anymore. And I pray that this would be a moment of strengthening for this church, that we would remain convinced in the truths of your word, that we would not compromise, that we would not turn away, we would not waver for another moment. I pray for Regina Midget. In this moment of vulnerability, I know how much she hates standing up in front of people. I know how much she hates talking in the microphones, and yet the power of God compels her to come and bear witness to her, not just 
to, to, to good things, but to struggles and difficulties. There's, there's a beautiful spirit-led authenticity in this testimony right now and in this cry for help. And God, you are merciful. Oh, you hear the cries of the faithful. You hear the cries of people who are struggling with their faith. You hear the prayer that says, God, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And I pray right now, God, that you help Regina in her unbelief. That you come to her in grace, not because she's been such a, a warrior for the faith, but because she's struggling. God, would you give mercy to her? And would you speak into her life truth and love through these hands that are resting on her right now, that are embracing her, through the, the words of, of the scriptures, through the, the, the beautiful whispers of your spirit to her heart. Lord, would she be built up in faith, the faith, right now. May we get to see, God, with our own eyes, the truth of your word coming to life. Would we witness a testimony being born right now? And Lord, we lift to you her husband, Steve. And every other lost, unbelieving soul that touches the hearts of the people in this room. And we lift them to you and we confess that we can do nothing to save them. We cannot convince them. We cannot coerce them into heaven. There's nothing we can do but what we're doing right now. Lord, we lift them to you and we appeal to your love and to your grace and your mercy, your loving kindness, your hesed, and we beg you, God, to break through into their lives. That by the power of your spirit, they would be awakened to their, their utter lostness and their incapacity to do a thing for themselves and be awakened to your tremendous love for them and your mighty power to save and deliver to the uttermost. Holy Spirit, would you work right now in the lives of every person that these people are thinking about and bearing in their hearts and praying for in this moment. There would be a that there would be a, a powerful moment of change, a kairos moment where their eyes are, are opened and their hearts like a flower before the sun open up to you and to your grace and to your saving, healing power. Lord, I, I am already excited about the testimonies that we're gonna hear in response to this moment because we believe that you are working right now we're not just throwing these prayers out with, with a, a wish and a prayer in the hopes that you may or may not do something. We are confident that you are at work right now and salvation is coming to someone's life right now and transformation is coming to someone's heart and they're being snatched from the fires of hell like a brand plucked from the burning. Lord, would you do it right now? We know you are and we believe it. And I pray that we would continue to have faith that perseveres through the doubt and the fear and the insecurity and the lies of the devil whom we rebuke in the name of Jesus right now. Amen. May Satan have no claim on any heart represented by the people that we're bearing right now. And we believe, God, that you are on the throne and in control, and we, we trust you. And we thank you in advance for what you're doing and what you're going to do. Lord, thank you for Regina standing up boldly. May this be a church that is open to the movement of the Spirit, even when it inconveniences the pastor. <laughs> Lord, I couldn't thank you more for this moment and for, and for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, reign and be glorified through it all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you. Deathbed conversion. Amen. Now, Barbara's preaching the next point in the sermon, so... <laughs> 
thank you everybody for helping me preach today. I, I need all the help I can get. Regina, no. Don't ever apologize for this. Don't ever apologize. I just needed it. Yeah. 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 I don't mind at all. Question come to mind. Why not here? Why not here? Why not here? Well, <clears throat> I get to practice what I preach when I tell people who don't know what to do next to just do the last thing they were, the Lord told them to do. So I'm just going to keep preaching. But I don't have to get to the end of my sermon. So I mean that. This is not an opportunity for anyone to stand up and do something for themselves. But if the Spirit is moving on you so strongly like, like he, does, he did with Regina, um, I'm open to it. Okay? I'm open to it. There's freedom here. That's the beauty of the Spirit of God. He brings, he brings freedom. And so I'm going to keep preaching, but I'm also, I'm open to whatever. Is that fair? Do you, are, are you in agreement with that, church? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about seeking to help those who are struggling, those who are wavering, those who are, are, are well, in need. And, and listen, it's not, I've, I've said this several times already in this series, it's not the job of the pastor to do it. It's not like there's a, there's a room full of need and everyone's looking to one person to go meet the need. No, no, no. Jude is very clear from the onset of his letter. It is, it is the job of the church. It is the job of the church to identify those whose faith is wavering, to, to reach out to them, to invite them to a meal in your home, to take them out to coffee, to send them a, a, a beautiful text with a scripture or an encouragement, to pray for their lives, to speak truth and love into their situation. It is your responsibility and mine. You have a duty to convince them today while it is still today. Ike, let's hear it, brother. Okay. Amen. Amen. Okay, secondly, he says, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. And uh, I believe it was Barbara was talking about a, a deathbed conversion. Friends, those are real. And a lot of Christians struggle with that because we feel like it's unfair because we're selfish. If, we, if we're being honest with ourselves. How can God let that person live the lives they lived and then at the very last minute, right before they go into heaven, be saved? But listen, I, I view it as a, an amazing reality that someone could be so entrenched in their sin and be so rebellious to God that even in their last breath, he hasn't given up on them. And so friends, the people you're praying for, you've been praying for them for a long time, many of you. 
and they're people that you are beginning to wonder if God's ever going to hear your prayers, if he's ever going to do a thing in their lives. And I want to tell you, as long as they draw breath, there is hope. There is hope. And God, listen, if you haven't given up on them, you know God hasn't given up on them because he is the faithful one. He is the one who's being patient because he wants no man to perish. And so he's at work in their lives. But we have a responsibility, don't we? We have to, to reach out into their lives a hand that, that might rescue them, like he says, like, uh, like snatching them from the flames of judgment. And by the way, more literally, like a brand from the fire. It's, it's this picture of, of this inferno that's about to devour and consume their lives, and they're right on the cusp of that moment, right on the cusp of judgment. If, if it weren't for your reaching out to them. I think Jude must have been meditating on the prophets Zechariah and Amos because they're the ones who use this metaphor to depict a, a bold and daring rescue attempt to save something before it's too late. And all around you are people just like that. They're living, they're living on the cusp of judgment. And God is calling you to engage in a bold and daring rescue operation to save them, to snatch them before it's too late. People who, apart from you, not apart from me, people who, apart from you and your testimony and your persistence to win them for Christ, are facing an eternity of separation from him. Snatch them, Jude says, with urgency, because as you know, there's no guarantee for tomorrow. So show mercy or convince those whose faith is wavering, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment, and then lastly, Show mercy still to others. And this is that third degree of, of the highest degree of waywardness in these three clauses that I mentioned earlier. Um, show mercy and, and convince and contend for even them, but do so carefully. Do so carefully. Hating the sins that contaminate their lives. In other words, show mercy for them, love them, reach out to them, but be careful that you never compromise. And that's, that's one of the risks, isn't it? When we're trying to, to, to cross over and connect with somebody, we're trying to reach out to them, we're afraid of offending, we're afraid of pushing away, and so we go soft in our, on the truth side of things. You're, you're acting in love, but now you've gone soft on truth. And, and that's the balance that we always have to hold in tension. Others are so strong on the truth side that they do it at the expense of love, and that has the equal effect of pushing people away. Now James is saying, Love them, show mercy to them, reach out to them, care for their souls, care for their eternities, but do so carefully. Don't let your own heart become contaminated. Don't let your own heart go soft. You need to love the sinner, yes, but what's the other half of the equation? Hate the sin. And don't be afraid to hate sin. It's okay to hate sin. Do you know who hates sin? God. God hates it. So you should hate it in your life and you should hate it in the lives of others. Be concerned with both truth and persons. Now I had this whole, this whole section here um, admonishing you to not be loud and obnoxious on Facebook and Twitter. I'm just going to skip that part here this morning, okay? We'll just skip the sort of pastor chastising you and move down to the, the last thing that you and I need to do. We've talked about building one another up in the faith. We've talked about reaching out to those whose faith is, is wavering. But the third thing and the last thing that Jude is going to give us in conclusion of his letter is this. And this is the most important thing. And this is number three if you're taking notes. Number three, trust in the keeping power of God the keeping power of God. Listen, it's easy to feel helpless. 
It's easy to feel hopeless. It's easy to let despair and fear and anxiety creep into your hearts as you think about the world around you, as you think about those that you love and are praying for, and even as you think about your own faith. But the beautiful thing is that Jude concludes his letter exactly where he began it by saying this to you. Hear this, God is able. God is able. In the midst of your doubt, your uncertainty, and your fear, you and I have the opportunity in a time such as this to defend the faith by trusting in the keeping power of God. What a testimony. What a testimony. That's what's so, that's what's so amazing about a martyr who maintains their, their confession unto death. That when their lives were on their line, when the gun was put to their head, when the sword was laid at the back of their neck, when they were, when it was do or do, literally die, in that moment, what do they do? They trust in the keeping power of God. You want to defend the faith? Do that. Trust in him to the bitter end. That'll defend the faith. That will build the faith into others. That will convince the wavering. That will snatch others from the fires of judgment. It's the key to it all. You may not be able to contend for the faith or stand up for the truth or convince the wavering or rescue the brand or hate the sin and love the sinner on your own, but God in you enables you to do those things. You are more. You are not conquerors, friends. You are more than conquerors. How? Oh, by the power of the same spirit by whom Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. You have resurrection power. Don't tell me what you can't do. Oh, Pastor Sean, I can't do these things. I'm not called to it. Oh, don't get me started there. That's a worse rant than my Facebook rant. You're absolutely called to it. Church, this is a message to you. Don't tell me that you're too scared. Fear, by the way, is the opposite of faith. It's not doubt. It's fear. Fear and faith are utterly incompatible. They are mutually exclusive. Pastor Sean, I'm not gifted. You don't have to be gifted to have faith, to have faith, to trust in God. That's all we're asking you, anyone. That's all we're being asked to do. We're not asked to be some super scholarly intellectual. We're called to be faithful. To trust God and bear witness to who he is, the truth of his word. That's it. And sure, you'll stumble and fumble and bumble and get all the other words that rhyme with humble. You'll do all those things and get things wrong. But if God is the, the, the dynamic power within you, he's going to do things to your life. But listen, and this is my last real point on this third point. I told you it's like, point, it's like three three-point sermons. So that's why I wanted you to take notes. But this is the last real major thing I really want to you to not miss. Jude does not say, God will keep you. There's a difference between saying God will keep you and God is able to keep you. It does not say God will do these things as if they are some sort of inalterable or inevitable outcome. If that were the case, then how do you explain 
the warnings in the exhortations of the book of Jude or the rest of the New Testament for that matter? How do you explain them? If it is true that, that God's commands are his promises of what he can and, and will do when you turn to him in faith, then it is also true that his warnings are possibilities of what you and I might do apart from his grace. If there's no warning or if there's no possibility of me ever turning away from Christ, of ever compromising, of ever buying into the lies of those who pervert and twist the gospel, then why the warning? If the inalterable and inevitable outcome of me saying yes to Jesus once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, you know, at an altar in some church from my youth, if the inalterable outcome of that is that I cannot stumble or turn away or make shipwreck of my faith, then why did Jude urgently change the nature of his letter? Why did he bother? Why, why does Paul urge us to see in Galatians that to turn from God's word is to turn from God? He's warning us from turning from God. Why does the writer of Hebrews alert us to the danger of his words, not mine, being enlightened, tasting the heavenly gift, sharing in the Holy Spirit, which is a gift to the believer, tasting the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. You receive, when you come to Christ, his spirit, who is a foretaste of eternity. And the writer of the Hebrews said, how can you have done all those things only to then fall away? If those aren't even possibilities, and, and a lot of us bring theology to the scriptures that say those are not possibilities for the believer. If they're not, then why the warnings? Why the warnings? Why does Peter, in a parallel passage to Jude 1, or not Jude, chapter 1, the only chapter in Jude, in these verses, in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about Lot at Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Why does he bring that up? Well, you remember what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. What happened? Well, God's judgment fell, but who was spared? Lot and his family. God rescued Lot and his family. And yet, even though she had escaped, and even though she had been spared, even though she was in the process of being saved, Lot's wife, oh, she had to have one more look, didn't she? Do you see where I'm going? The, the, listen, salvation is not a, a static singularity, some quantifiable moment, specific moment in time contained there. No, the Bible talks about those who are being saved. It's not how you start. It is how you finish. And there's a lot of people I don't think a lot in this church, but a lot of people in churches who are vacillating back and forth between Jesus and the world. They've looked to Jesus, but they're always looking back. They're always looking back. There's that, and it's okay, because my, my theology says, I look to him once, I'm good. So I can look back. And the, yeah, I know God hates sin, but he doesn't really hate it in me. Oh yeah, he does. He hates it in you. That's why the work of the Spirit right now is to conform you into the, the holy likeness of the Son. He's sanctifying you. He's making you holy because he hates sin. And there's a lot of people who are 
decaffeinated Christianity. They, they want to live. That's what the false teachers were teaching. It doesn't matter how you live. They've perverted God's grace into licentiousness. That's what he said three weeks ago. Listen to the sermon again. Go back to verse three and four. They've taken God's grace, this free gift of God, and they've twisted it to say that all you have to do is say yes to him once and he can live however you want the rest of your life. That is not what Jude is telling us. That's not what the scriptures tell us. That's not the truth. And so Peter, talking about the same thing, reminds us of Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened there? Lot's wife could not coast into salvation on some past experience of being delivered. She took the first step out of the city. That wasn't enough. Why? Because in the process of being saved, sorry for if the camera's, if I'm going out of camera, in the process of being saved, she hadn't re, judgment was still coming. She looked back. And I think the physical movement was a, was a manifestation of the content of her heart. Now this opposed, this was opposed to her husband, who did what? He kept his eyes. He kept his eyes. He never looked back. He kept his eyes, and as a result, his life was spared, to which Peter concludes beautifully, the Lord knows how to rescue people, rescue godly people from their trials. Oh, I love that. Does Lot deserve credit for his salvation? No, of course not. He didn't save himself. He was rescued. He was delivered. He was saved. Contingent upon what? Not looking back. He kept his eyes on Jesus. Well, on God. He didn't know Jesus quite yet. And that's the same thing for you and me, friends. I know it's hard. Life is hard. You're, you're, we're embattled. We're surrounded by enemies. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil are all warring for your soul. I get it, but take hope. God is sufficient. He is able to keep you. He is your power to defend and to cling to the faith with all of your life for the rest of your life. And so because of this, we have a duty. We have a duty to be on guard for one another's souls and to continually rely upon the resources and grace that he provides. So, church, contend for the faith. Continue to believe the scriptures, stand firm, hold fast, be built up together, reach out to others, and do it all while relying upon God's power and mercy and grace. I want to I want to conclude with a very quick story. Uh, it was Friday. Um, by God's providence, our secretary couldn't be here, and so Laura got to fill in, and I was in the copy room uh, printing out bulletins and stuff, and Laura's in there, and we're having a great conversation, which wouldn't have happened if the things that led to it hadn't happened. So Jessica, it's all good. And we were having this conversation, and Laura said, um, we're, we're talking about how things today are so different than when she was a child. Now, I'm not going to tell you what year that was. <laughs> or what century that was. <laughs> I have a tendency to get myself, oh, she's coming up. No, don't do it. You can stay there. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, she was talking about how things are so different today. And she said, things that were wrong are now considered right. 
Man, that is, that is a very simple statement, but that is loaded with truth. That's our world, isn't it? Where things that were once considered wrong are just now considered right. And I added to it, evil is running rampant and on full display. Did you watch the Grammys? It's just not even, they're not even ashamed of it anymore. It's just evil. Evil is just rampant and on full display. And we agreed how hard it was to imagine being a child in today's world. I think about my kids and the world that they're growing up in. And it's, it's shocking and overwhelming. And she said, and I think she kind of captured both of our sentiments, I'm glad I was born when I was. You remember saying that? <laughs> it's true. We're in hard times. And my, I'm not a prophet, but it feels like things are only going to get worse. But take heart. Why? Because, yes, Jude's letter is marked by the presence of passion, but it is also marked by the absence of panic. You cannot find a whiff of panic in Jude. Yes, pastoral concern, pastoral passion, pastoral exhortations, and, and, and I mean really passionate, like a passion that I wish I could even begin to scratch the surface of but never for a second any panic. Why? Well, he knows who's in charge, doesn't he? He knows who's in charge. Maybe that's the lesson from the Asbury Revival right now, which is in its, I think, 11th day. Imagine a church service in 11, 11 days. I mean, we're going on, well, we're like 15 minutes overdue right now, and your stomach is growling a little bit. Yes, they're going to eat and stuff, but think about it. Church service that lasts almost two weeks. It's amazing. What's the lesson to us? We've seen it already. God is alive God is at work. God is real. God is in control. I hope that encourages you, church, as you think about the call to contend for the faith in the culture that we live in. Are you encouraged this morning? I pray that you are. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for a beautiful morning that, well, I know I will never forget. For the rest of my life, I will, I will look back upon this Sunday morning fondly with gratitude. It's kind of like maybe an altar needs to be built to commemorate it because we know, we know you're always here. We know you're at work in this church. We know you're at work in our lives, but there's some, there's some times though where you, well, you just leave, you leave no doubt in our minds. And we've seen it. We've seen you. We've experienced you. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would take action. And we would begin to put these very practical things at work in our lives, not because we're such great Christians or because we've figured it all out or have all the, the gifts and the experience and the skills and know how to do it all well, but because of you. You're the one at work in our lives. And so, Lord, we say yes to you to come and to guide us and to lead us to be the people you've called us to be and do the things you've called us to do. This we pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, as we close uh, in this closing song, we have, another, we have another word. Richard, let's hear it, brother. Amen. 
we're, we're blessed more than we realize, aren't we? Yeah, when I, when I talk about my tenure here to anyone that asks, it's going on 10, it'll be 10 years in October, and I've always viewed my time here as God's grace to me and my family. She's nodding. We're not here because we had the best grades in school or had some big church and success and, or because, you know, it, we did all the right. We're here just because God is gracious and he gives good gifts to his children. This church is a great gift. Don't, don't miss that. Don't miss what this, don't miss this day. Don't wait until 20 years from now to look back and be like, man, that was a moment that I missed. Listen, there's a moment here and you're free to respond whether it's a word of testimony, whether you want to come and pray, whether you want to pray with each other in the seats, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so feel free to respond as you feel led. I'm going to turn it to Pastor Jeff. He's going to lead us. There, the worship team is going to lead us in a closing song. Um, but there's time here. There's, a, there's space to pray and to seek the Lord and do what you And parents, if you need to go get kids, then go get kids. That's fine too. Just respond as you feel the Lord leading you to respond. Pastor Jeff?